And good morning and welcome to The Age Stage. The Age Stage is a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible by the Village Baxter, Village Glen and Encore Living for that regional alternative. My name is Paula Dunn and I'm joined today by William Bond. How are you, William? Good morning, Paula. How are you this morning? I'm really good and welcome to The Age Stage. Thank you very much indeed. It's very exciting being my first... uh my first little show, as yes, they say in the classics. It is. They should it call is. this the Age of Reason, shouldn't they? Well, really? they we, and a bit of John Farnham coming could, in or something. We could, but we're not getting rid of the Beatles. No, we're not so, getting rid of the Beatles. Yeah. No, we're not. We're not. So today on our program, William, we have Jenny yeah. Blakely, who is manager of Senior Rights Victoria, and also Helen Hardy, who is a nurse working with Actioning Change for the Aged Care, which right. there's been a lot of talk about recently. Absolutely. In recent times there has been. There has. And then thirdly, we're going to have Anne Hollands, who's Director of the Australian Institute of Family Studies. Fabulous. But first, before we do that, um, I'd like to just say a little bit about the um, topic we're going to be talking about today with Peter Nilsson from the Village uh, Glen and Kim from the village Baxter, and uh, it's a public com- a public comment is being sought on the draft version of the new National Retirement Living Code of Conduct, which is huge. It is huge, and uh, about time. So, shall mm. we introduce our guest today? Yes, we can. We will. We will. We will. Can I introduce? Firstly, we have Kim Jackson, who's executive manager of the Village Baxter. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Lovely to be to back. To Audible PFM. Thank you very much for Dean coming in, and also, and Peter Nielsen. Good morning, Peter. As they say in the classics, how are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you, William. My pleasure. Kind of you to ask. <laughs> very kind indeed. It's going to be an interesting topic today because it really is uh, quite fascinating. Uh, it's about code of conduct and uh, within the industry itself. And perhaps, Paul, you might. Uh, Do the intro, as they say. Yes, as I said, um, public comment is being sought on the draft version of the new National Retirement Living Code of Conduct, which all retirement community owners and operators will be encouraged to sign up uh, to as as part of their commitment uh, to delivering great experiences for senior Australians. And Peter and Kim are going to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, well, I I think it would be good to set the scene. Let's... To be a history lesson, shall we? Yes, Paula? let's do that. Peter. And for our listeners, um, this this journey to get a code of conduct started just on a year ago. If you if mm, you recall, I we do. had that Four Corners program yes. about uh, some residents in a retirement village that were not happy. Mm. Um, and and look, people in life are not happy from time to time, but this group of people felt that they weren't getting listened to. Yes. And got to a point where it was quite caustic mm. and Four Corners and Adele Ferguson from the Fairfax group picked up on that, didn't they, Kim? Mm. They did, absolutely. And they had a bit of what they would have thought was an expose of how bad our industry was. And I can recall, and you can too, you, yes. at the time it was dark days, wasn't it? It was very dark days. It was dark days. Yeah. And, and uh, Stuart Shaw and myself at that time had a meeting with uh, the Honourable Ken Wyatt, the Minister mm-hmm. for Aged Care, mm-hmm. who clearly is a Commonwealth Government uh, representative. And as we know, the retirement villages are regulated in the state. But anyway, Ken Wyatt gave Stuart... And we had breakfast with him, so he gave his, his time mm-hmm. and gave us some really good advice. Mm-hmm. And we talked about... Um, well, he talked about, for us, he, his view was that the industry uh, needed a code of conduct... His view was, and the government, the, the federal government's view, is that 
industries like ours should be self-regulated. Did you believe that too? Did you did you and Stuart agree that it needed the industry needed a code of conduct? I didn't think so. From I can only speak as I know, which is about the Victorian legislation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very robust piece of legislation, Kim, isn't it? It is. The legislation's there. Mm. Um, I think the Code of Conduct is very much about reassuring the public that Mm. the legislation's there and we're adhering to it. But I guess, Kim, it was a long time coming also, I would imagine, within the industry, talking with the management within the industry. Yeah, it's. I think the industry's changed a lot over the last decade. Um, Many years ago when we had the... Retirement Village Association, the state-based mm-hmm. ones, they had a code of conduct, but that's become that became nationalised, then became part of the Property Council, and there's been a growth um, in the le- in the peak bodies, and there's some of us that still have the old code of conduct on the wall, but the legislation's changed, people have changed, mm-hmm. and the industry's changed. I think you're right, though. Yeah. I think it, you know, its value is that it reassures the public. Yeah, it's all about trust. It I think. is. It is and all about trust. Clearly. Uh, legislation on any sector is about a carrot and stick, mm-hmm. whereas a code of conduct is about no, no, no. This is what 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 we do and why we do it. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. And, and so it's a totally different, yeah. isn't mm. it? It is, and it yeah. is. We'll make it clearer going forward about who is a retirement village yes. and part of the retirement village industry, mm. and who is not. And part of the um, confusion twelve months ago was I know one of the players that was in the media wasn't actually a retirement village yet the industry was getting some flack for something that wasn't actually technically a retirement village Um, so the code of conduct will help make it clear that you know people that adhere to that are part of the retirement living industry Mm. not just a rental apartment complex or something that happens to have people over 55 in it Yes, and and that going back to that program, the Four Corners program, it was very well, very one-sided. We thought, didn't we? It was. Yeah, it was. They didn't talk to the regulators. Mm. They didn't talk to the operator that that they were aiming at. They only talked to the residents and took their story uh, as given, didn't they? Yeah, and they did. It from, from us as an in, from an industry perspective. It wasn't what was said, it was what wasn't not said. That's right, exactly, so, yes. Yeah. yeah. As I've said to my wife at the time when we watched the program, um, that you would think if you knew nothing about our sector that here we have an industry totally unregulated, yes. operators running rampant, yeah. and, and we know that's not the case. Mm. So yeah, that's very really easy to miscommunicate that message, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, every cloud has a silver lining. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we think that... Um, the outcome from that program to now, although it's taken a year, yes. Um, and this code of conduct, I re- recall after that meeting with the, the minister, I took that to the RLC and said, "This is the minister said, you guys do this, this, and this. We will leave you alone, but we, you need to do something." Yes. So it started off as a one page of Kim. Yes. And <laughs> and then it, it's funny how things grow. Uh, the industry felt that the sector felt that. It needed to be more than just a few thoughts that we had about a code of conduct. It needed to have um, some ACCC input. Mm. So we did that path, and, and mm. it's ended up being a 38-page yes. document. Yeah. And I'm not going to talk about 38 pages in the detail. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking, though, over the next few programs, we might pick to, pick to pieces of yes, it and I deal agree. with particular That's, issues in it. It'd be great. And, and part of our eight-point plan. So yes. 
Uh, and we did go through the eight-point plan in detail we have over, done that. over a, yes. a series of weeks, which we was have. really good. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm thinking that's what we should be doing mm. in the next little while. Yep. Um, so does it interesting go out, Peter, and, and I guess communicate what you have done to not so much squash what the Four Corners program did, yeah. but certainly to go out and tell the market what you're doing now. Yes. And make it feel comfortable for As people said, potentially mm. going into retirement villages so they know that there are some great operators out there. Absolutely. And it's not just all one-sided. Yeah, and it, it, as I say, we need to rebuild that trust mm. that in some respects has been lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, funnily enough, both Stuart and I are, are of the view that in our little space, the one we play in, we're still trusted operators. So Absolutely. We, have, we haven't seen what others have seen. Mm-hmm. However, having said that, industry-wide there has been a problem and, and we're believing this will go a long way towards addressing it. So what's happened is that document that you were reading from from the three-peak bodies, so this is just not the RLC, it's the Retirement Living Council, it's AXA, which is the peak body for the not-for-profits, and it's LASA. Now, LASA also act for nursing homes as well. So, yes, they yeah. do for-profits and not-for-profits. And, and nursing homes care. and retirement independent yeah. living. Well, so, What was the main concern with government, particularly in the sense of forming um, your own self-body? What, what was their main concern? I, I think that the pressure, f- funnily enough, that's a good question you ask, William, because the general public see our sector as nursing homes. Yes. Mm. And the general public see that they are regulated by the Commonwealth so the Commonwealth Government were coming under a huge amount of uh, scrutiny of being asleep at the wheel. Why aren't they fixing this problem? Yes, mm. yeah. And clearly, because we are a federation of states, even if the Commonwealth had a desire to fix it, they couldn't without the cooperation of the states. Mm. They don't actually have the legislative no. capacity to fix it. Yeah, mm. right. And uh, but that you're, you're piece probably of information aware of, wasn't put out on no, the program. No, it wasn't. And you're probably aware of there's a, a August group of people called COAG, mm. which is the Council of Australian mm. Governments, who get together quite often to talk about local and national issues. Mm-hmm. And this was taken to COAG, as, as I understand it. And um, and COAG basically, at, at this level, was the, the various representatives of elected personnel looking after consumer affairs in the various states and the, the federal uh, counterpart of that. Now, he was sort of making noises that we should regulate this and the, and the state saying, hang on, this is our territory. Mm. <laughs> yes. yes. So there are turf wars yeah. in the government about who yeah. regulates what. Oh, I'm sure. So I think this, this, we got past that point and now we've got this document and from this week it's going on public comment Fantastic. for the next month or two uh, and we're writing to everybody in, who's who has um, an interest in our industry and the aim of the exercise is from January 1 next year, the Code of Conduct will be adopted by everybody and then there's some uh, requirements within the Code that to be a retirement village, you have to sign up to the Code mm-hmm. and there are some disciplinary measures if you step out of line of its of its goals. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. that We've never had it that is. before, Kim. No, have we? We haven't. So the Code is national. National, yes. my word. Was the, was the government's motivation because of the 7.30 report that came through? I think the government's was motivation that? was that they were under a huge amount of pressure, pressure. From, yeah. from people to mm. say, as I said, that they're, they're asleep at the wheel because mm. mm. it, it was coming back to us that the Prime Minister was involved saying, we've got to fix this. This, this, mm. is, this, this is a problem yeah. Yeah. and our role as the federal government is not to legislate but to work with the states to make sure 
that if there are problems, mm-hmm. they need to be addressed and addressed quickly. Mm. Do you agree with that, Kim? I would, and yeah. it has been remarkably quick when you consider there's an agreement here between three peak bodies and all the different organisations that make up the different states and the territories, mm. all to come up with one document that everyone can agree to, I think is a remarkably twi- quick mm. in 12 months. Is there five sort of specific areas the government wanted to solve or fix up as such, as specifics, for example, Peter? I mean, well, The meeting that we had with, um, with the Minister, Mr White, uh, the Honourable Ken White, he mentioned four things. Mm-hmm. Now, the, those four things have morphed into eight. Mm. But the four things that we spoke about then clearly was a code of conduct. He said, mm-hmm. you, you, you as an industry need to have a self-regulated code of conduct in his view. He also said that uh, it would become clear to him that dispute resolution was clearly a problem because how did this these people in this village in Victoria on the Four Corners program, how did this get to such a bad point yeah. without mm. someone... Stepping Doing in, stepping in and yeah. fixing it. Yes. Mm. So clearly yeah. there's been a break. Whatever their dispute resolutions um, criteria there are, it hasn't worked. Mm, that's and, right. And as an industry, you guys need to solve this. So that was mm. the second point. Mm. The third yeah. point, Kim, was about management of villages and the training of managers. So mm. our industry uh, is very diverse. There are villages in Australia that have 30 units and there are villages in Australia that have a 1,000 units. Mm. Now, clearly, to run a 1,000-unit village uh, and to be on top of the issues that happen there and the ones happening in a 30-unit village are different. Very different. So and up until now, we haven't really had an industry um, sanctioned or run training of management. So we, we actually manage of our villages come from all different walks of life, um, and a lot of the training is, is really on-site, isn't it, Ken? It is. A lot yeah. of it's on-site. A lot of the smaller villages were basically mum and dad managers where you had... Really caretakers. Caretakers. Mm. You had the husband that was the maintenance mm. person, yeah. the yeah. wife that was the nurse, and they lived on-site. And Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. with the governing, obviously with this, there has to be a governing body to enforce or respond to, to complaints, I, I presume. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. So yeah. in the, in each state legislation, there is dispute resolution, um, protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this code has picked up on that and then taken it to another level, hasn't it, Kim? It has. Yeah. It's really made and the it. aim of the code yeah. is to, with, with all disputes, there's all sorts of disputes. There's disputes between residents and management. There's a lot of disputes between men, residents and residents. Yes, I'd imagine that. Yeah, it's like any community, like any yeah. street that anybody lives in. Yeah. So, yeah. in the general community, if you've got a, a, a dispute with your neighbour, well, you know, you've got to solve it yourself. Yes. In a retirement community, the residents in the village are looking to the management to solve their mm. disputes, and mm. so that's not easy. Does that to do. occur often, Peter? Are such disputes between, say, management and, and residents. I'd like to say, on, in personal experience, no, yeah. but clearly in other areas, yeah. yes. Mm. Our yeah. personal experience is it's very rare to actually yeah. get a formal complaint or yes. a dispute, mm. um, but there are villages that have residents who are particularly active in that area, yeah. mm. um, and across the industry, we generally have a low level of complaints anyway, but when people do have a serious dispute... But that must make yeah. it hard for yourself also when, when that occurs, because you're out there doing the best you can... Mm. And obviously, yeah. 999 people are happy and one person's not. 
No. And no. often... And the in, dis- in Victoria, yeah. one of the problems with our state legislation is that clearly it's in the Act how we're supposed to manage disputes, but when they get elevated past the local level, one of the problems... One of the problems with that uh, is the next level is VCAT, and VCAT can can cost people money. Yeah. Oh yeah. It can. So yeah, and then it becomes a very adversarial yeah. lawyer involved process. And I don't think a lot yeah. of people have um, faith in VCAT, to be quite honest. No. You know, in all sorts of areas. Okay. You know, no, I don't. I really don't. Yeah. I, well, I can't comment nobody. on that. But no, of course. <laughs> But, you know, you mentioned VCAT and yeah. people just sort of, oh, VCAT, roll their eyes. Anyway, look, the fourth thing that, or th- point that uh, Honourable Ken White made to us was that he he became aware of the diverse legislation in the States and he thought it would be a good idea that we had a, a, a structure in, in Victoria or in Australia where we got something like universal legislation. So the States would still mm-hmm. have the legislation but from state to state, it would look similar. Yep. Whereas at the moment, um, we've got companies like Lend-Lease and Stockland and Aveo, which are listed on the stock exchange, have multiple sites, like 80, 90 sites mm. Australia-wide, and depending what village or where they are is how the rules are. Mm-hmm. Now, from there, for them to actually run their business um, efficiently... They're dealing in five and six different jurisdictions. And mm-hmm. particularly when families live in a different jurisdiction to the retirement village that their parents live in, that can create some confusion. Mm. Yes, and we might talk a bit more about that after After the break, messages. indeed. Thank yeah. you, Paula. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Kim. We'll be back very shortly. Yes, community radio at its best. Welcome back to the Age Stage. Uh, we're here with Peter Nelson and Kim Jackson from the Baxter Village, and we're going to talk, Peter, now about the um, some of the points in the... in the uh... Yeah, well, I, I did mention mm. our meeting with Ken White, the four points that he suggested. Now, when we took that back to the RLC, Kim, that morphed into eight points, didn't it? It did, yes. Yeah. Um, the first point was to support nationally consistent retirement village legislation and contracts, mm. and that's just what we were talking yeah. about to make things consistent between the states. The second point is to ensure that there's transparent and easy-to-understand descriptions in the contracts of entry pricing, outgoing service fees, reinstatement costs, departure fees and payments, so that residents have certainty about the cost associated with living in a retirement village, which the fact sheets went some degree to do that, mm. but this is just to enforce that people really do need to understand there are multiple costs about living in villages. Yeah, and I think that would give a lot of peace to a lot of people to, to really understand that yeah. and have that you know spelt out, so to speak. Uh, the third point was to encourage all potential residents to seek independent legal advice before signing a contract and working together with government and the legal profession to make this happen. And it is important to understand that not all lawyers and accountants understand retirement living mm. or aged care financial costs. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really do need to find industry experts and that's those industries actually educating their own people as well as the retirement living industry educating people. It's a good tip. Point four was to improve training and professional support for all village managers, salespeople and other staff who engage directly with current and prospective residents. Now, I think that's really important, as you were saying about the training, you know, um, just dealing with people. And, you know, as a professional counsellor, I know how Mm. important it is to to understand people's needs. Yeah, and, and I'm on the RLC uh, managers training committee, so we are developing a course Australia wide to train managers. Yep, great, which yep. is fabulous. Mm. 
point five was to commit to the industry village accreditation standards and coverage and support government initiatives to make accreditation mandatory. Um, and there's a lot of talk now that the Code of Conduct will actually be one of the um, requirements under the accreditation. One of the cornerstones. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Point six was to work with the Australian Retirement Residents Association to implement the Industry Code of Conduct, which is the Code of Conduct that we've just been talking about that's open for public comment. Mm. So I do encourage people to actually hop on um, any of the websites, just Google the Retirement uh, Living Code of Conduct mm-hmm. and have a read of it. And if there's something that you feel very strongly on, um, respond through the feedback mechanisms on that. The question I have is how, how will you know that most of the villagers adhere to the code of conduct? Con, uh, conduct. Who's going to monitor that? That's a very good question. Mm. It is. <laughs> Who's going to be missing? In the, the code of conduct. Yes. <laughs> in the code of conduct, we have to annually um, sign off on the fact that we have complied with all the conditions. So we have to do an internal audit. I was going to say, so there'll be an audit. An audit internally, Mm. and and we as owners and managers of retirement village have to sign off that annually. Okay. And indeed, if it's found that there's a breach by a complaint, etc., and it's upheld by the the CAC, Kim. The Code Administration Committee. CAC, (laughs) CAC. Sure. Oh, yes. Isn't that sounds, sounds like a great name, doesn't it? Don't yes. you love acronyms? Yes. <laughs> so feedback on that name would be fabulous. Yes. <laughs> so the the code does have some teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking where it's going eventually is we will be in a marketing sense of our industry saying. If you're going to live in a village, make sure they've signed up to the Code of Conduct. Oh, yes, like, there, like an, an accreditation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Paul. Was there any objection to any of the operators for the Code of Conduct by saying we don't need one or we're self-managed anyhow? Not that I've heard. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there probably is, yeah. but I haven't heard I haven't that. heard any public com- yeah. like yeah. opposition yeah. to it either. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. As an industry, we do set ourselves quite high standards and really want to get that across to the public that... Mm. You know, we have a code of conduct that will keep us to the standards. Do you have a national conference between all the operators? We do. You do? Yeah, Once do. a year? It's called the Retirement Living Summit. It is. Right. And it's in Canberra this year. This year's in Canberra. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're Mr. doing, Turnbull. We're doing the along. program for sure. <laughs> <Canberra>. We <laughs> yes. could do that. We could we do that. Could do that. We could do that. With a thousand dollar delegates watching <laughs> yes. and cheering. We could what? do it live, couldn't we? <laughs> Absolutely. We can take and our... throwing eggs. Exactly. Oh, gosh, <laughs> Moving right along. Point seven was to Thank commit you. to the establishment of an efficient and cost-effective government-backed independent dispute resolution, such as an ombudsman or advocate mm. for disputes that can't be sold at village level. Yes. And most disputes can be. It is unusual for yeah. something to accelerate up that far, but the, we do need to have a robust process for, if it does, yes. clear, transparent process about how it's managed. Mm-hmm. You mentioned CAC before the mediator. Is there any one... Uh, an, an outside person, perhaps, that comes in and, and acts as the, they call it the judge or um, a barrister or someone like that. Not at, at the moment, the um, you accelerate things up through VCAT. Right, through VCAT, um, and that's the only way through VCAT. At the very at end stage. of the no, process. Well, there's, there's, at the moment, within the village, there's a whole set of criteria. Yes, but if you can't get past that point, we then go to Consumer Affairs Victoria, right. and they've now. Delegated that to, what's that committee uh, called? The Kim? dispute 
Resolutions. resolutions. Yep. Yes, yes. Dispute Resolutions Centre. Mm. Which right. is a free service. Yeah. Right. Um, if that doesn't resolve, you go to VCAT. Mm. Right. So there are plenty of steps to go through. There are plenty obviously. of steps, and, and the Code of Conduct is going to introduce another step, and it's really about being a, a, not cost-less but a very cheap alternative because mm-hmm. once you get yes. past dealing in the village and consumer affairs, clearly there's costs involved, and mm. right. most of our residents aren't in a position to be able to pay for costs, so we are of the view that justice sh- shouldn't be unaffordable. Mm. So it's, it's great to have this, in, and, w- and we'll go through that on another program, how that okay. all works. Yeah. Yes. Terrific. That's yeah. great. And the final point was to maintain and strengthen the relationship between the industry and the Australian Retirement Village Residents Associations to make sure that resident issues are clearly identified and addressed as they come up. Mm. And the um, resident uh, village... At, Australian Retirement Village Residents Associations is the peak body for residents in retirement villages. Okay. Mm. Not all villages participate in that program, but a lot of residents do, and they're the body that the peak bodies go together, go to, to talk about issues. Fantastic. Well, it's very exciting news, obviously, this this coming aboard, uh, because I think it's probably as a long time overdue. And, uh, now you've got the, uh, I guess the, the tick in the box from all the operators that this should happen, the code of conduct, um, provides a, a safer environment for residents who are thinking about or are in retirement villages now. Mm-hmm. And it's open for public comment, so I do encourage people, have a look, read it, because it will become a code of conduct for all of us. Yes, and we might even get some questions from listeners that we can yes, address like absolutely. we have done before. Absolutely. So yes. thank you, Kim, and thank you, Peter, for joining us today. And we'll see you again next week, perhaps. Now, Peter? William, yes. you've still got your training wheels on. So I have. <laughs> I have indeed. So I hope you're enjoying the experience being oh, with Look, us. I really am. No, it's <laughs> I've learned a lot. <laughs> I've learned heaps, actually. So Excellent. thank you, Peter, very much indeed. Thank you, Kim. And I hope that we have many more days like this. And we'll see you next week. And, and we, we are doing a program, aren't we, Kim? We are. With our, um, from time to time we go on the road, don't we, Paul? We do. We and we're do having go an outside broadcast Friday week. Yes, Friday week. At the new so tomorrow week aged the, care facility in yes, Mornington. We are. Yes. Where our guest speaker is the Honourable um, Kay Patterson. Kay Patterson. Dr. Kay Patterson. Dr. Actually. Kay Patterson, and she's she'll a PhD be joining in something. Yes. Mm. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of things. Something actually. important. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so she's going to be talking well. about um, older women. And, right. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. Mm. They're not yeah. talking about me, are they? No. 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 <laughs> so we'll go to a break now and be back soon. Thank you again. Okay. And with me now, um, I have, I'd like to introduce Jenny Blakely. And Jenny is Senior Rights Victoria Manager. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. And so, Jenny, tell me, what what do you actually do at Senior Rights Victoria? Um, Senior Rights Victoria is a statewide service that um, works with older people around the issue of elder abuse. Yes. And that... when we talk about elder abuse, we're talking about older people who abuse frequently by someone they know, often a family member or friend or a yes, neighbour. That's really hard to swallow, isn't it? I mean, you know, that. I mean, we're hearing it more and more. Um, and I'm just astounded that it goes on. Yes, it's pretty amazing, but it, unfortunately it does. For heaven's sake, yeah. And so what happens, Jenny? What's the pro- process if somebody feels that, if, you if know... If someone is concerned about mm, being abused or yeah. thinks that an older person is being abused, and there's different um, 
forms of abuse. We, we talk about it generally as an act which causes harm to an older person and, as I said, carried out by someone they know and trust. Mm. And it can be financial abuse. Um, it can be um, psychological or emotional abuse, which is sort of abusive language and threatening language and demeaning language to an older person. Mm. It can be uh, social abuse, which can be social isolation. It can be um, sexual abuse or neglect. And if someone's concerned about that, then we have a helpline that they can call and it's a free confidential service mm -hmm. and they've got an opportunity to talk to our helpline advocate about the issue mm -hmm. and what they might like to do about it or at least get some support from us. So We're able to offer further assistance if need be. So just how common is it, Jenny? Well, it's very hard to know how common it is. There's, there's various studies which have suggested it could be between two and 10% of the older population. Wow. Um, and given that we've got an ageing population, that means it's going to increase. Mm -hmm. But we also know that it's very underreported. People don't identify as elder abuse. They often talk about problems in the family. Mm. Or there's a sense of shame in talking about the problems that are occurring within the family. So often people may not report it or identify it. Yeah. Is it mainly, Jenny, sorry, William Bond, is it mainly uh, very older people that... that that is happening too, or is it, or is it um, generally across all age groups? Well, when we talk about older people, surprisingly, we talk about over the age of 60 or 65, and I think that there's two groups of older people. There's the sort of 65, 60, 70-year-olds, and then there's the 80 and 90-year-olds. Mm. And we do find that it's spread across um, that cohort. It tends to be more the 70s and 80s that we um, hear from, in terms of the problems that people are having, but we do do hear from people in their 60s and we talk about um, the age being over 45 for people of Aboriginal or Torres Strait background because their life expectancy... Is, is it physical, Jenny, sorry, is it physical abuse or is it mental abuse? It's physical, well, as I said, it's physical. It can be physical, so it can, right. can be pushed around or slapped or hit. Oh, um, but it, the main sorts of abuses that we see are financial abuse, so the yes. taking of money... Or signing over a property and um, using the, the proceeds for the other person's own benefit rather than the benefit of the older person. And so, Jenny, the development of the EAAA, which is the Elder Abuse Action Australia um, Society, uh, so how did Senior Rights Victoria participate in the development of that? Okay. We, we were one of a number of organisations that participated in the development of um, Elder Abuse Action Australia, AAA, is so much easier to say. <laughs> mm. And um, we, we were involved with a number of organisations who have been meeting once uh, uh, at national conferences and trying to work out how we can work together nationally rather than in isolation in the state. Mm -hmm. So out of that network of, of organisations and people came um, five organisations who formed a working group and we were one of organisation, so we were the Victorian one, and there was one from Western Australia, South Australia, New South Wales and Queensland, and worked together to try and establish EAAA, which has now become incorporated and has been successful in attracting some funds from the federal government to become interested in this issue. And so how, how will those funds be used, Jenny? Well, the funds will be used in a couple of ways. Um, one will be the, the set-up of the AAA. So we're trying to set up something which shares information 
Yeah. We've got a, a, a consistent and coherent body of knowledge about how to work on um, prevention, but also responding to elder abuse in all its diversity and diverse communities. So that means LGBTI as well as cold backgrounds and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to try and um, use our expertise and the knowledge that we've gathered to um, achieve change. So achieve change at a government level in how the government is responding and develop strategies around tackling elder abuse, but also some of the other, I guess, institutional players, and the banks being one, for example, where banks are concerned about or may be witnessing mm. of financial abuse on older people. And so what does it hope to change? Well, what we hope to do is change the face of elder abuse. So what we hope to do is to make sure that people are aware and know what it is. We increase community awareness and the government has a role in undertaking that. That we develop really good responses for elder abuse to assist older people and we work to prevent the drivers of elder abuse. So the the things which are occurring in our society, we we say that elder abuse is a symptom of ageism, but it's also something which arises from um, some of the other service system failures. So for some older people, they have problems within their family around alcohol and drug use mm. or mental health, which they're still dealing with and trying to deal with as a, a parent. And so that the need for other systems to, to come into play to help support them. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, just raising people's awareness that this is actually going on and the areas that it is going on financially and absolutely the banks need to look at that. Um, you know, if someone is allocated um, to be power of attorney uh, of a uh, an elder parent or whoever it might be, um, there, needs to, there needs to be cross-checks and balances in place. Is this, Jenny, sorry, William again, is this um, an education thing when people first come into a village? Are they pre-warned of that sort of situation happening or could could be happening? Um, I don't know that it does, actually, and I think that that would be really good that um, if there is some education for older people when they mm. enter into facilities or retirement villages. But we mm. deal with a lot of people in the community, so not just in um, those sorts of um, residences or facilities. Um, it's frequently something which happens in the community, but it also can happen when someone's in a residential facility as well. Yes. Because this is a brand new experience, obviously, for people coming into a village. They've just probably left their home and the first time they're, they're brought into the village and it's all brand new and they don't know what to expect. Mm. Um, it's a totally different sort of area, I guess. Yeah, it, it's not connected to retirement villages. Okay. Um, well, hospitals? We're talking about, we're talking, we talk about it as being like another form of family violence. Right. Yes. Okay. I think of family violence as being intimate partner violence, yep. yeah. but this is intergenerational violence. Yeah. It can occur. It occurs within the family frequently, mm. um, but it can be in any sort of um, community or institutional setting. Yes. You kind of wonder what the family are thinking, aren't you, when this occurs? Yeah, you, I find it kind of hard to comprehend <laughs> just... that you would do that to anybody, let alone well, parents you know. And... The 70, 80 year old mother and all of a sudden the children are abusing her because of certain things, because maybe because of greed Mm. or, you Mm. know, et cetera, et cetera, which is really sad. Yeah. Well, I think it can be a bit of greed about, well, you know, that I need the money now and you don't, which is, you know, like that's an ageism um, attitude because the money Mm. belongs to someone no matter what age they are and they use it as they want to. Yeah, that's right. Not an older person may need it if they're having to enter a residential care facility. 
Exactly. Um, and it also can result from, you know, as I said, long-term dysfunction within the family, which may relate to substance abuse yes. or mental health. Mm. Um, but also that sense of um, the older person not having the same sort of entitlements as, as younger people. Exactly. Well, thank you for bringing this to our attention, Jenny, and um, hopefully we we can raise awareness within the community and with our listeners to look out for any, not only for themselves, but for any people that they might come in contact with. Yeah, thank you very much. Jenny, thank you very much for your time. We really do appreciate it here at RPFM. And we'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, after our short break. Welcome back to The Age Stage, and we have a guest, Helen Hardy, and Helen... Hardy is a nurse working with Actioning Change for Aged Care. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. So, Helen, um, what what is it um, that Actioning Change for Aged Care actually does? Tell us about that. Actioning, or ACAC, is a group of advocates who are working towards trying to get a, a Royal Commission started to try and improve things for aged residents and also working with Jane Seaholm to uh, improve our skilled staff ratio a petition which we now have about 230,000 signatures. Okay, and, and what's brought this about? I understand you're having a crisis meeting in Melbourne t- um, tonight. Thursday night we're having yes, a crisis meeting. Yes, Thursday night at 6pm at, at the 6 St Kilda Sports Club. Yes, and, and so and what's brought this about, Helen? We want we need to get out there that uh, people have no understanding of what is going on in aged care. When, uh, when you say in aged care, what, tell me what you mean specifically by that, because in residential aged care, where patients are. Uh, assaulted, abused, ill-treated, left in feces and urine, are not fed properly, not hydrated properly, not cared for properly. And are you talking about nursing homes in particular? Nursing homes. And high care facilities? Yes, and usually they're voiceless people who are a fair game to anybody that's game to assault them or uh, treat them roughly because they've got no ability to Oh, that's terrible. That is terrible. And this this isn't a good line either, Helen. So no, I'm still on the train. Oh, okay. I see. So, um, just give the patients a big wave for us, won't you? <laughs> so, um, what's brought this to your attention? Like, have you had uh, multiple complaints from uh, my patients? My mother was in aged care for a number of years and was assaulted a number of times and treated. And uh, what did you do about that when you found out about uh, that, Helen? I did everything I could. The police were involved, the courts were involved, management was involved, the owners of the facility, but it was just like fashion. I did everything all the courts with some of the carpets and none of the reports alive. Wow, that's awful. That's really awful. And what, and what became, how is your mother now? My mother passed away about two years ago. I'm so sorry for your loss. So, um, Tell me about the Opal Nursing Home in, uh, investigation. There, there apparently was a um, an ABC uh, investigation into neglect. ABC said the surgery report did uh, three parts 
story on Opus uh, and about your mum and several other residents. And Gary Barney is the CEO of Opus was dismissed. And, but now he still sits on boards which govern uh, nursing home uh, government money and rules and regulations. Right. And, and what was the result of that investigation? He was dismissed from Opal, was that correct? Yes, yes. Okay. And so uh, this is where you believe and your compatriots believe that there needs to be a Royal Commission, is that right? There needs to be a Royal Commission so that everything is investigated. Um, mm-hmm. The reason why they're able to get away with these procedures is because everything's swept under the carpet and the government is protecting uh, private providers of nursing homes and and management. Right. Helen, do you feel this is run across... Sorry, Helen, it's William again. Um, do you feel this is across all nursing homes, or do you think it's, you know, just a few uh, bad from, bad apples? From, there were many good uh, care staff in my mother's nursing home, but unfortunately there were some rogue care staff, mm. which make it... Unfortunate for, for staff that are good, but since Anne Connolly's ABC story uh, on Seven Thirty report, we've had an avalanche of of videos and staff and families come forward with horrific stories of abuse, ill treatment, and poor care. It must be very difficult to find out, uh, you know, what is a good or bad nursing home to go into to make that choice. Uh, it's very hard to make that choice because you're presenting with the glossy brochures and they look you in the eye and tell you that, yes, we are wonderful and we're going to do everything that you've asked us to do, but it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yes, one of the things I did, um, Helen, when my father, we were looking for, for somewhere for my father, we were told he had to go into care, and we would, my sister and myself, we would turn up unannounced to places um, that we wanted to have a look at at varying times so that we got a real sense of what was going on and what was being presented to us wasn't all orchestrated. No, definitely not. Mm. And uh, there is no comeback when you go to the management or the CEO or Mm. I was intimidated, bullied and stood over when I made a complaint. Wow. And I was threatened. That's dreadful. To keep my mouth shut. Really? And what were you threatened with, Helen? I was just threatened to keep my mouth shut. I wasn't to discuss my mother's assault or the involvement of the police. Goodness. Is this from the nursing home itself? Uh, from the nursing home and from the CEO of Opal. Goodness. And another one of his clients. Right. Gee whiz. Mm, that's dreadful. So, that's Helen. Very intimidating. Uh, staff are intimidated. Patients are intimidated. You only have to watch Anne Connolly's three stories and you'll see mm. a 94-year-old lady that was intimidated that she wasn't to discuss Goodness. anything with anybody that she was to stay in her room. And I wouldn't think that you as a nurse, Helen, would, would be easily intimidated. Well, my problem is as a nurse of vast experience and a number of certificates, if I can't get past administration... Yes. And I can't get past the CEO of the facility. What hope has an ordinary person got exactly. of looking after their own relatives 
in this situation. So is that how the formation of the ACAC came about? Yes, mm. yes. The and frustration of not being able to complaint scheme is pointless. useless. Accreditation is a pointless exercise. It's all just a complete cover-up of... Yep. Um, uh, you know, they put in place... They know accreditation is coming, so they put in place yes. all these fancy... Procedures and the very next day we're back to the normal. That's very, very sad to hear, Helen. Complaint scheme, um, you may as well not go to complaint scheme, you may as well go to the media because mm-hmm. complaint scheme always find in favour of the um, provider. Right. Or they turn it back on you and make it look like it's your fault. Well, Helen, thank you for bringing this to our attention today and hopefully uh, as the uh, um, interview before you, our, our listeners will become aware of uh, to look out for certain things such as this. Once again, your aged care crisis meeting is happening tonight at 6pm. Uh, uh, Thursday night, yes. Thursday night, the 28th. Yes, Thursday yes, night at 6pm. Yep. The 28th at uh, St Kilda Sports Club. Sports Club, okay. 66 Fitzroy Street. And the push really is for the Royal Commission and the age skill care ratio okay. for staff. Helen, our heart's with you and hope that uh, the mini goes well for you tonight, Thank meaning you. Thursday night, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you obviously get the results you, you're chasing. Thanks, it's Helen. Take it. It's a long time. Yes. Uh, sadly, uh, it sounds like it. I, I probably won't see the end of this. It's going to take years. All right, Helen. Well, thanks. Thank for you again for your time. Today. Thanks, really Helen. appreciate thank it. Bye thanks now. Bye, Paula. Bye.